1: Is Tuesday Terrors on the Mutual Audio Network <laughs> The following audio drama is rated R and is recommended restricted for anyone under the age of 17
0: And the great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Revelation
1: 12.9 I haven't seen it all month.
0: The gatekeep scratched at his chin and frowned.
1: Not since last night, if I think on it. Strange, that. She usually does a walk about the walls before noon.
0: She's not in the Priory either, said Remy. And no one in the town seems to have seen her. Or if they have, they're not telling. Clements shrugged, closing the door to the gatehouse behind him, and stepped out onto the cobbled road. The midday sun had just started to reach its peak, and a warm wind was sweeping in from across the valley. It gave Pierre a headache.
1: Well, she didn't come this way, if that's what you're asking.
0: Clemens raised a brow, swiveling his mustard-green eyes between the pair of them.
1: Looking to say your goodbyes before you leave, huh? It's a fine day for travel, even if you are heading into God-knows-what down south. Not yet,
0: said Pierre.
1: We have a certain matter to conclude with your prioress. It is most urgent, but she seems to have disappeared.
0: I see. Clemens tugged at his undercoat, loosening his top button against the heat.
1: And you've tried the old chapel house then, have you? She's taken it upon herself to clean the place up. Might be she snuck off there for a bit. The chapel house?
0: Pierre stared past the gatekeeper's shoulder, at the hill overlooking the town. The small structure seemed out of place upon the hillside, protruding from the landscape like a thorn in its side. Even from a distance, Pierre could make out its colour-stained windows and broken steps. He remembered the perverted idol of the Blessed Mary sat outside its doors and the story captured in the panes above. A chill ran down his spine. Oh yes, Clemens
1: was saying. Seen her wandering the grounds myself. Mostly alone. She's solitary-like. Or sometimes with another sister too. Not sure why. Why? when they've got the whole priory all to themselves. But I find it's best not to question my betters.
0: Then that's where we'll go, said Remy firmly.
1: You have our thanks,
0: said Pierre, watching his companion as she strode toward the hill. He turned to the gatekeep and smiled warmly, clasping his hands firmly.
1: For this, and for opening your gates to us, a lesser man might not have, given the sickness and worse that lurks beyond these walls. You do yourself an honour.
0: Remy was already some way ahead, and the friar would have to hurry to catch up. With a final nod to the gatekeeper, he bunched up the hems of his robes and followed her.
1: You can thank the prioress for that, Clemens
0: called after him.
1: She's the one with the heart of gold, a blessing on us all, she is.
0: Are you sure about this? Pierre had hardly caught his breath when they began their ascent and a bead of sweat dripped from his forehead. The day was getting warmer, and his back cooked against the sun. He wiped away the sweat with the sleeve of his robe, and leaned heavily against his staff.
1: We don't know what we're walking into. You said it yourself. The witch's roots grow deep in this place. It could be a trap.
0: Remy scowled over her shoulder at him. "'What's with you, Pierre? "'You've been a pain in my side since we arrived.' "'She pointed up at the chapel, still staring at the friar. "'A witch has presented herself upon the land, "'and we have chanced upon her. "'My purpose, you may recall, is singular. "'I will remove her from this town like poison from a wound "'before it has a chance to fester. "'I will either do it with you at my side, "'or I will do it alone.' your choice Pierre sighed but he knew there was no changing her mind
1: I didn't survive the shadow and hellfires of Toulouse to leave you now little saint no where you go I will follow I urge caution that is all
0: your concerns have been noted Remy paused on the narrow pathway and then smiled back at the friar it is no small task that I have been set, but I am grateful for your company and your guidance. We shall be careful. Pierre nodded, feeling slightly more reassured than before. But the cloud that lingered in his mind would not disperse. There was something different about Unfair and the Valley de Havre. A feeling, a presence the old friar had not felt in a long, long time though he could not quite place it. After a moment watching Remy move up the path, he forced the doubt from his mind and followed after. They approached the chapel house from the east, skirting around its windows before emerging from the path opposite its entrance. A silence hung over the place. And it seemed to Pierre that even the sound of the windows rattling in the wind was muted Deadened by some inexorable force that centred around the church The friar crouched down in the grass beside Remy and stared at its closed doors
1: It doesn't look like anyone's in,
0: He whispered, more hopeful than anything else But even then, he knew it wasn't true Someone, something, had occupied the chapel house on the hill. And Remy wasn't going to leave until that thing had been smote from the land. A warm gust swept across the hill, tugging at Pierre's hood and forcing him to close his eyes. When he opened them again, the air around him seemed to flicker, and he felt a subtle pressure weigh down on him. The colour in the trees and bushes surrounding the church, even the grass beneath his feet, appeared to him diminished, ashen and faded, until the world seemed a shade of grey. Come on, said Remy, getting to her feet. She hadn't noticed the change, her eyes so firmly fixed on the chapel house. It's time we unmasked the Hag of De And cast her back into the flames. Pierre grunted as he rose from his knees, leaning against his staff as he hobbled after her toward the chapel doors. He felt eyes upon him as he moved onto the cracked steps. The friar hesitated and then turned to look around the yard, already knowing what it was he would find. The grey stone statue beneath the windows seemed to have grown larger. ...and stood near as tall as the chapel itself. The base carving had become more intricate too... ...and symbols covered every square inch of the Blessed Mary's robes. But where the mother had cradled the goat in her arms before... ...now there was nothing. Her arms were bare, the goat gone. Despite himself, Pierre leaned forward to examine the statue... "'staring at the letters pressed into the stone. "'The words he read were meant for no mortal tongue, "'and the growing sense of unease that had disturbed him that morning returned. "'A great evil had forced itself upon the world "'and made the town of Unfair its home.
1: "'Remy?'
0: "'He tilted his head, still staring at the symbols. "'Another gust of wind blew through the yard.' and he flinched at the soft, monosyllabic stirrings that accompanied it. A voice, or many, on the edge of the wind, on the very edge of existence. They called to him through the breeze, pledging themselves to him, promising themselves, chaining themselves to his will. If only he would join them. An image flashed through his mind of fiery pits, and naked writhing bodies of fire and void and an eternity of mangled ruin. The priest snapped his eyes away from the statue, and the voices dropped, but not completely. He could still hear their murmurs, though they were subdued, and it was easier for him to shut them out. Remy! he repeated, louder this time. I don't think... The doors to the chapel house slowly swung open, and Pierre saw the slight figure of his companion disappear inside.
1: This is a good idea,
0: he finished lamely. The old friar spared the blasphemous statue one last glance, heaved out a sigh, and limped into the chapel house. Rami had been little more than a babe when she'd come under Pierre's care. He found her in the ruins of a town, the last survivor of a brutal attack upon its people. She had been unmarked by the fires that still raged and untouched by either the sword or spear that had killed her parents. It had been a miracle. Knowing that the roads were no place for a child, Pierre had left her in the care of a small abbey on the outskirts of Paris. He visited often and saw to her instruction, ensuring that she was learned in the faith as well as in worldly matters. He felt a duty to her, but more than that, he saw potential. It wasn't long before the story started. At first... It was small irregularities in the way of things. A mended wing, a salvaged crop, aches and pains that faded upon her touch. But as the stories grew, so too did her fame, until Pierre became concerned that she would begin attracting the wrong sort of attention. The Inquisition was on the move, and the smoke from their pyres stained the sky as far north as Lorraine and Calais, Pierre had done the only thing he could do and sought protection from the church itself. Far better to preempt discovery, he had decided, despite the risks. He had taken her to Avignon, to the seat of Christendom in France, and there, beneath the vaulted dome of its grand church, her fate had been decided. First, She had undergone a number of theological examinations in order to verify her morality. Then she had been tested, both in body and in mind. Her knowledge of Christ had been scrutinised, and her dedication to his will examined. She had been deprived of food and water for weeks on end, given nothing more than her Bible and a few words of encouragement from Pierre. Members of the Inquisition itself had questioned her, searched her bodies for any signs of mutation or witch marks. Her purity had been checked and confirmed. Finally, she had been asked to perform a miracle. Her last test was to be undertaken within the great vaulted chambers beneath the church, in front of the Avignon Pope and his papal enclave. A row of benches and musty old men had frowned down at her from their seats, doubting her, willing her to fail. They were the representatives of God's will and no one else. But the Avignon Pope had smiled at Remy, and his eyes had been warm and curious. He was an honest man, and at the very start of a reign that was to be burdened by plague and conflict, politics and war. He would smile less and less as his eyes grew colder. That was still to come, however. In that chamber, he had smiled at her and bade her begin, and so Remy had performed her miracle. After that, there had been no doubt. Color returned to the world as the old friar entered the chapel, his sandaled feet clicking against the hardwood floor beneath him. The air inside was cool and the distant hum of voices faded as he passed beneath the doorway. The headache behind his eyes began to recede too. Pierre leaned against his staff, squeezing the door shut and turning to look into the chapel. Rows of pews lined both sides of the walls, crammed in wherever there was space. A coat of dust covered most of them, and Pierre could smell the stink of musk and moisture from a leak, and something else too. White sheets had been draped over some of the benches, but their wood had still rotted through, crumbling away to form small heaps on the floor. Silhouettes hovered in the shadows beyond the pews. Clay statues half hidden beneath dirty rags. Pierre gazed at the closest one, trying to make sense of the shape beneath the wraps. It was sharp and angular, with protrusions pressing against the fabric that concealed it from his vision. A chipped hand hung out from beneath the material, but its proportions were wrong the curling fingers far longer than any human's. The sound of voices ahead drew Pierre's eyes from the statue and toward the front of the chapel house. An elevated dais stood beneath a pair of magnificent stained-glass windows, basking in the yellow glow reflected through their coloured panes. By the podium itself, he recognised the figures of Remy and the prioress Margot, They were engaged in a heated conversation, and by the harsh, clipped tone of Remy's voice, he knew that things were swiftly coming to a head. We both know such a spell could not survive its cost as death, he heard Remy say as he picked his way through the ruined church. No, to raise such a hellscape would require life and deep roots. There can be no other way. I will have to take your word for it. Margot's face was as flush with colour as it had ever been, but her mouth was drawn tight at the corners, and her eyes were dark when she noticed Pierre's arrival. "'Franciscan,' she said, tilting her head almost imperceptibly. "'Your ward was just telling me about a theory of hers.' "'She does not think the witch is dead.'
1: "'She walks among us, yes.'
0: Pierre stepped up onto the dais to stand beside Remy.
1: Without her to channel such foul magics, the curse of Val de Havre would have been long since lifted. No, there can be little doubt.
0: Margot shook her head. But I saw her burn.
1: You saw someone burn. It may even be that it was the witch, but she left an acolyte behind. Or perhaps it was one of her minions cast unto the flames to begin with. Only she would know.
0: Cetalos, said Remy, taking a step toward the Prioress. Which was it? Margot frowned, shaking her head as she looked from Remy to Pierre. You can't possibly believe it. I would never do such a thing. I could never. Rami's mouth was set in a hard line as she appraised the Prioress. Her furrowed brow as deep as trenches. Light flickered behind her eyes, growing brighter as she spoke. But you did. Do you not think we can be so easily fooled as those in the town, or that you can hide your blasphemies from us? We will not be blinkered from the truth, witch. Margot gasped, her stern facade slipping. (laughs) Me? How could... What proof do you have for such an accusation?
1: My dear prioress,
0: said Pierre, raising a hand,
1: you wear it upon your very skin. You did not think it went without notice, that you are flush with health while the rest of the town rots, your evil spreads like contagion and devours life like a parasite.
0: Margot hesitated. I... I thought it was... What happened to the craftsman's son? Asked Remy, taking another step closer. The boy who fell from the priory roof. What did he do to him? We, we saw what he was to become. Nothing! I did not touch him. Margot tried to push past Remy, but Pierre blocked her with the tip of his staff. Let me pass, Margot demanded, blonde curls coming loose beneath her veil. She was flustered and her voice shook when she spoke. You cannot keep me here. You have no authority over me. This is my priory. But you are wrong, said Remy, rolling up her sleeves. We claim authority from a higher source, one that even you must submit to. Margot hesitated, momentarily taken aback. Wrong? I mean, Pierre snorted.
1: Mm. Higher, even.
0: The prioress stiffened, clasping onto the staff to prevent Pierre from prodding her further. There was fear in her eyes. "'You are with the Inquisition, then?' "'I wonder,' said Remy, ignoring the question. "'What chaos you had planned once you were done raising the boy. "'He was very nearly there, you know, "'before we had him consigned to the flames.'
1: "'May his soul find peace,'
0: murmured Pierre. "'You must believe me,' said the Prioress, "'pushing away the walking stick. "'Her face shone red.' Even beneath the glow of the windows. I found him after he fell. That is all. I even offered to reform his last rites, but the family refused. Pierre frowned at that.
1: Refused?
0: They wouldn't let me near him. I think. I think they blamed me for what happened. But I told him not to climb up there. It wasn't my fault. Crooked words from a crooked tongue, said Remy. We will not be so easily deceived. It is true. Margot looked at Pierre, pleading with her eyes. I don't know what you found, but it has nothing to do with me. Please, let me go.
1: I'm sorry. Though I know now why the magistrate was willing to acquit you, a rare thing in a witch trial. You are most compelling.
0: The magistrate? The private stumbled back. Confusion writ upon her face. What magistrate? I was never tried. I've never even been accused of a crime. Until now. Rami laughed. The game is up, witch. There is no point pretending any longer. The magistrate was not so meticulous as you might have hoped. He left hints and more. We know the first accused was only spared because she cast accusation upon another. Your acolyte, perhaps. And we know that she was a sister, too. Margot blanched, her sharp angular features turned down in thought. A sister? From the Priory? But that's... Pierre and Remy both turned to look as the chapel house door slowly creaked open, and a shadow stepped into the hall. The Franciscan frowned as the air started to buzz, the voices he'd shut out returning louder than before. He grunted as he tried to suppress their calls, leaning deeper into his staff as the effort shook his body. The shadow moved into the light, revealing a slight figure in a white habit. Sister, Margot called, trying again to push past Remy. Please, you must fetch Clemens and the town guard. I think they mean to harm me. Sister Lucille cocked her head, her black curls bobbing over the rings around her eyes. She swept the hair back with a pale hand, and then smiled, closing the door behind her. Ah," said Pierre, watching the sister stride toward them. The voices growing louder with every step.
1: It appears we were mistaken.
0: Lucy, the prioress had stopped trying to get past Rami, and was watching the nun's approach with a mixture of hope and confusion. You must get help, she repeated. They think I am the witch. The ache returned behind Pierre's eyes, and he ground his teeth before turning to Margot.
1: Who was the sister brought before the magistrate if not you? Quickly, you must tell
0: us. A look of horror crossed the prioress's face as realization finally dawned. It can't be, she muttered shaking her head. Remy nudged her by the shoulder and the prioress looked up, staring down at the pews. Finally, she raised a hand, a finger levelled at Lucille. It was... her. Lucille feigned a look of shocked hurt as she came to a stop at the end of the pews. And then a grin broke out on her face. Why, Prioress, have you forgotten your verses? Let he who is free of sin cast the first stone. Isn't that how the line goes? Perhaps you should be careful lest you sleep. A sharp intake of breath from beside Pierre indicated that the words had hit home. He fell, murmured the prioress. It it wasn't my fault. I... I tried. Remy bristled. You dare tarnish scripture with your tongue? And in one of his houses, which." Lucille laughed. The sound was cold and cruel. (laughs) and Pierre flinched as he tugged at something deep within his mind. Images from memory flashed before him, of coiling serpentine scales and iker black talons, a gaping maw lined with bleeding teeth. Deep within his consciousness, he heard something rattle. He shook free the vision, grunting as the ache in his head sharpened. Lucille flexed her fingers, the smile never leaving her face. This stopped being a house of God a long time ago, little girl. She waved a hand, flicking her wrist at the drape-covered silhouettes that lined the walls. See. Pierre felt the air stir as some unseen force dragged the sheets to the floor, revealing the figures beneath. They were abominations, foul mimicries of their original forms. Horns sprouted from the head of the nearest statue, and where there had once been a staff, a pair of snakes now dangled. It was Raphael, Pierre was sure. Or it had been. But now, the angels' wings were crooked and malformed, curving in on themselves, like that thing they had found within the grave. The other statues had been similarly transformed, and a host of stone gargoyles and demons leered across the pews at them. I hope you like what I've done with the place, said Lucille, examining her nails before looking up at Remy. An improvement, don't you think? Sacrilege! Remy growled, her eyes not leaving Lucille's. One that shall not go unpunished, witch." Lucille laughed again. <laughs> what do you know of punishment, girl? <laughs> do you think you could do to me what hasn't already been done a thousand times and more? Do you think you or your fat priest can break me? <laughs> With what? Where? The blasphemous nun shook her head and snorted. No, no. I'm afraid you've got it all wrong. There shall be no punishment for me. Not today. Remy skipped down from the dais and strode confidently toward the witch. She stopped to step away from Lucille, who was eyeing her curiously from beneath her mop of brown hair. Your soul has become corrupted, said Remy, and I'm here to deliver you from it. My soul? Lucille's eyes lit up with glee, and another cruel laugh escaped her lips. My soul, she says. ''I have another secret, little one. Oh, but it is a precious secret. Would you like to know what it is?'' (laughs) Lucille's arm shot out so fast that Pierre barely saw it move. A flash of pink flesh and something, something that looked like the hooked end of a claw. The blow connected with Remy's neck before she could react, slicing into the skin just above her collar, and sending her spinning into the pews. She slammed into the wooden benches with a sickening thud and slumped to the ground, not moving. Remy? Pierre's eyes widened as he spotted the pool of blood gathering beneath his friend's body. Her head hung at an awkward angle, resting loosely against her chest. He turned to the witch, anger boiling in his breast.
1: What have you done?
0: He works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? Lucille dropped her arm, staring down at the fingers that had seemed as sharp as razors a second before. She shuddered, flexing her jaw as a grimace replaced her smile, and a shadow shifted over her face, writhing like tendrils about her eyes. Lucille groaned as her flesh rippled like a tepid pool of water that had just been disturbed. She hunched forward, taking a slow step toward the friar. The pressure Pierre had felt outside the chapel house returned, a pulsing current of power that weighed down on his chest and shoulders. The gibbering voices came with it, scraping against his consciousness as they whispered to him. What a privilege. Lucille grunted, pain scarring her features as they bubbled. To witness my descendancy. Few. Ever. Do. Pierre blinked, feeling his breath catch in his throat as he watched a shape twitch beneath the witch's skin. Sharp ridges began to form along her face and arms, tearing through the soft tissue as they imposed themselves upon her body. Lucille's jaws opened, extending impossibly wide until they cracked with a gut-churning snap. Sharp, Pincer-like mandibles emerge from where her mouth had been, and a row of fangs pierced through her gums. Her skin started to change too, darkening with each step she took. She paused, tilting her head as another bout of shape spasmed throughout her body. The tremors came to an abrupt halt when spiralling horns of obsidian black shot out from her forehead, cutting through the and bone that was now falling from Lucille's body like a discarded carapace.
1: The Devil's Print.
0: Pierre gasped as he watched a pair of cloven hooves burst through the wraps that had bound Lucille's feet, cutting into the floorboards as she stomped towards the dais. Thick clumps of greasy hair covered her legs while jagged scales had emerged all across her midriff and upper body. A tail swished in the air behind her, balancing her growing form as she cast the last of her mortal skin aside. Finally, with a sound like a stillborn corpse being birthed, leathery black wings sprouted from the back noxious stench accompanied their arrival, and Pierre had to cover his face to stop from gagging. Lucille's voice was changed when she next spoke. It had deepened, carrying with it the sound of cacophony, of wind and of the chaos at the edge of order.
1: I am the Herald's of the Red Sea, the bane of the Israelites. I am the master of Tartarus, the walker of the sands. I am the seven hells, fear.
0: Lucille's membranous appendages vibrated softly, shaking off the last of the blood and gore that coated them. You see? The demon flapped its wings experimentally, turning its caprine head and yellow eyes to look at Margot.
1: My secret
0: was better than yours. been listening to His Black Tongue by Mitchell Luti, Performed by Anna Capraro and Scott Miller. Production copyright for Sentinel Creatives.
1: Sonic Summerstock Playhouse is on the air. Exclusively on Mutual, the Summerstock Playhouse is an annual celebration of old-time radio remakes by modern-day audio drama producers, each putting their own special spin on a classic program. Don't miss a single episode, Sundays in July and August, only
0: on Mutual. Better living through audio.